Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a panel discussion titled Moving Forward, Circles for Healing and Coming Together, co-presented with Healing Circles Global. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. I'm Kira Epstein. I am the program coordinator at the new school at Commonweal. Today, we are wrapping up our Healing Circles Lineage event series with a panel conversation hosted by our Commonweal Executive Director, Orrin Slosberg. We hope you've been able to join us for the previous events in this series that took place over the last month with these incredible, skillful, and dedicated champions of Healing Circle work. If you haven't, you can listen again or watch them. Uh, the entire five-part series will be our, on our website. We will have audio and video recordings posted there. This series has been co-presented by and is a fundraiser for Commonweal's Healing Circles Global Program, which has been doing amazing work through the pandemic and is looking to expand further to reach the needs of circles around the world. You can also find and subscribe to get all of our recordings on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Ken Adams, Jerome Havav, and Petra Martin are behind the scenes today helping us with production. So thanks to all of you. And now it is my pleasure to warmly welcome our panelists, Michael Lerner, Parker Palmer, Christina Baldwin, Diana Lindsay, Lisa Sims Booth, Ramin Sarabi, and our host, Oren Slosberg. Back to the new school at Commonweal. Good morning and welcome. Welcome from morning in California, afternoon on the East Coast, evening to our friends and colleagues in Europe, um, and, and nighttime in India. And before we start, I want to actually maybe just be silent for a moment and hold all the people, all of our community members around the world that are dealing with the pandemic. Just a moment of silence to hold all of those community members and friends. Our hearts and prayers are with all of our friends and colleagues that are experiencing the devastating effects of the pain, the death, the suffering that brought upon the pandemic. Um, and today we're talking about healing, about Healing Circles Global. Healing Circles Global is an unintentional but necessary social movement. In the last six months, and we started Public Circles there have been thousands of service hours, hundreds of circles a month in over 30 states, 15 countries, and many languages stretching from India, US, Europe, Asia, and other countries around the world. If there was ever a time that this work was needed, it's today. Our series started about a month ago with a conversation between Christina Baldwin, Anna Linnea, and Diana Lindsay. It was followed by a conversation with Michael and Parker Palmer. The third conversation was between Michael Lerner, Janie Brown, who is the founder of Calanist, which is a sister organization to Commonweal in Vancouver, British Columbia. And yesterday, Diana Lindsay and I talked about Healing Circles Global and how it came to be. Today, we wanted to hold a conversation that's across generations, to look at the depth of work that happened for the last 50 years, the work that is being done today, and what might be the work that we will be doing tomorrow. So we'll start with a short go around. I'll introduce each speaker 
as we talk and give them a few minutes just to reflect what's on their heart today and especially considering the conversations from the last five weeks. We'll go in the order that the presentations happened over the last month. We'll start with Christina. Christina, at Christina Baldwin and her partner Anna Linnell are co-founders of Pure Spirit and the Circle Way. They have trained thousands of people in the Circle Way around the world, consulted with organizations and corporations, and have brought everybody's voice into the circle. Christina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Oren. When you ask the question of what has risen in us from watching these interviews with one another, what I'm reminded of is how shamanic the circle space is. And I wanted to find that word so nobody's afraid of it. That uh, to me, shamanic space means something that is multidimensional, that includes everything that we see that's physically present, but also presence itself as a participant in the process. And though Anne and I kind of thought we would take this into the mainstream and apply it in business and healthcare settings and higher education, et cetera, which we did, the shamanic element is what just surprised us over and over again. And listening to every single one of this month of us this month, I thought we who hold this space are really servants to what is trying to happen. <laughs> and that we hold it like a glass holds water so that the structure of circle itself just provides this uh, strong but oftentimes lightweight and almost transparent rim because what people thirst for is inside the glass and it's our job to make sure the glass doesn't break so that people can drink grace and I think that's what I kept hearing over and over again this month as we talked about our work that Whatever we do, the circle provides a place where people can come and drink grace, drink what they need to heal. Thank you. Next, um, I'd like to turn to Parco Parmo, who's an accomplished writer, a teacher, an activist, a community organizer, also founder and senior par partner emeritus of the Center for Courage and Renewal. Parker, what's on your heart today? Well, first of all, I'm so glad to be here with all these good friends and good folk. And I just, I thought Christina's response just now was brilliant and beautiful. And in fact, I think that shamanic thing is working at this very moment, Christina, because you gave a gorgeous answer to the question that I'm holding as a result of these recent conversations. And the way I phrase the question is, what's the gravitational force that holds our healing circles together and holds them within the kind of space or culture that each of us tries to create? Um, and then what interrupts that force? And how can we amplify that force? Um, it may be that if it is profoundly shamanic. Uh, there's nothing I can do to amplify it. I just need to get out of the way and let it happen. And I've seen that in circles quite a bit. But to be very particular about it, um, at the Center for Courage and Renewal, we don't typically work with circles of people who have serious or even terminal diagnoses of their physical health. And 
And I have, having sat in such circles, I know that the the gravitational force is our is the profound linkage that happens at that point on the human journey between us. It, it, it's self evidently sacred, and we wouldn't we wouldn't break it because we're truly all in this together when it comes to that final journey in life. We're preparing for that final journey in life. At the center, we work with people like educators, healthcare professionals, nonprofit leaders, including clergy, social change activists, and I know that you and Anne work with them too, Christina. Their questions have very much to do with how can I best serve the suffering that I want to relieve in my students, my patients, the lives of citizens, others that I work with, and how can I survive and thrive in this demanding work without being crushed by the suffering I, I want to relieve? These are existential questions, but when, when we sit down with a group of professionals in field X, Y, or Z, we're often dealing with people whose professional discourse stifles those questions, whose, whose professional discourse, the way we talk about teaching and learning, the way we talk about medicine, doesn't allow for these existential for the existential weight of the questions that people are really asking. So we have a task of trying to change that discourse in the circle process itself not imposing it on any, anything on anyone, but drawing it from within them, a different way to talk about the field uh, about which they've been talking for many years. And, and so that at least touches on this question I'm holding about protecting and amplifying the gravitational force against all that would interrupt it from within the professions, from within our own psyches, and from the outside world as well. But again, you just gave a powerful answer to at least part of my question. Thank you. There's many questions that come to mind, but we'll save them for our conversation letter later. Um, Michael Lerner is the co-founder of Commonweal, the co-founder of the Cancer Health Program, um, the visionary behind um, Healing Circles and the alumni groups, a writer, a teacher, and a mentor, and so much more. Michael, what's on your heart today? Thank you, Oren. Uh, first, simply gratitude. Um, and I want to start by just uh, having listened closely, uh, uh, just underscoring Christina's comment about the shamanic element and her beautiful line that we are servants to what is trying to happen and that the circle uh, is strong and almost transparent, and it's a glass from which we can drink grace. And then Parker's comment that he seeks to understand the gravitational force that holds our circles together. What interrupts the force? How can we hold that space? Uh, that he has witnessed the, the power of that force when uh, the circles are of those where life itself is in question. And that the Center for Courage and Renewal is more working with professionals about how they can hold the suffering and travails of those they work with and how their professions often stifle that shamanic power of circle work. Thank you. 
So I just want to acknowledge both of those deep, lasting insights. On my heart today, gratitude for the community that has gathered for Parker, Christina, Anne, Diana, Oren, Lisa, Ramin, and all those behind the scenes. And a deep sadness for the state of the world and for all the suffering from the pandemic and from the suffering of all the other crises uh, we so often miss that we're living, as we're going to come back to, in a polycrisis of social, environmental, technological, economic, um, uh, global stressors that are moving with increasing rapidity. And therefore, uh, the idea that we're going to go back to a normal uh, is probably an outdated idea that uh, we're going to continue to face uh, uh, things like the pandemic and that the road ahead looks very, very rough. And the question of how circles can help us in that, um, in that difficult, challenging future is, is quite fundamental, regardless of what label we put on the circles. There are circles all over the world, and, and uh, we are all part of one community, as Christina has often said, uh, that circles go back to the first campfires around which human beings gathered. But I hold that sadness with trust. And my trust is that the universe moves with purpose and according to immutable natural laws. And that these laws are not cold, but that they're based in love, since the universe has created life and life is created through love. In other words, I trust that we are living in a living, loving universe. And I also believe that we can summon from within ourselves courage that no matter how far we as a human community have strayed from these uh, natural laws of the universe, that we can always choose to align ourselves with those laws. And that communities of friends are and always have been how love expresses itself in the world, that that has always been so, and it is so today, this hour, and this moment. Which brings me back to gratitude, which Brother David Steindl-Rast reminds us is found in every religion and spiritual tradition. We can't always be grateful for what happens to us or to others, but we can be grateful for the freedom to choose our response. And whenever possible, I choose gratitude because I place my full trust in the ultimate reality of a lawful, loving universe. Thank you, Michael. Parker and Christina and Michael founded three different yet shared visions of circles um, that led into healing circles. And Diana Lindsay, who has been part of these series in three different talks, is a, a writer, a visionary, the holder of many circles. And together with Kelly Lindsay, her husband, who passed away just over a year ago, they created Healing Circles Langley. Today, Diana is the co-director of Healing Circles Global. Diana, what's on your heart today? Profound gratitude for the three who've just spoken. Just sitting here, um, I've learned so much 
from the three of you so much. And, and it moves me, and it moves me in the way circle lineages have flowed for 150,000 years, that there's a hand reach, and we hold it, and we reach backwards. You know, on Whidbey, uh, we have to take a ferry to get to our island. And there is a culture on the ferries that's not written down anywhere, but that is you always hold the door open for somebody else. And I love that as a metaphor. And we just are all capable of that without, without a law, that it can just come out of a kindness, a respect, and a loving force that Michael talked about. So the idea that is stuck with me is the, is the one that came up in Parker's conversation and flowed as email between Parker and Christina of Vonnegut's, is it a, is it a caress or a caress, Parker? I'm hoping you can be sure I get it right. It's oh, you're, you're back muted. You're back muted, Parker. <laughs> it's a caress. It's a caress, but I think it's a caress too. <laughs> Vonnegut as sage, you know, maybe it's only those of us who are of a certain age that uh, identify with that. But Parker, can you just quickly say what that concept was? Well, I, I love the translation of a caress as a caress. Uh, so I'm, I'm up for that anytime. Um, the, uh, in Vonnegut's language, um, a caress is a group of people around the world who don't even know they're a group but are held together by the fact, and here I think we're back to Christina's shamanic emphasis, uh, held together by the fact that they're, they're doing the same work in the world. They're here for the same purpose and they're collaborating with each other without even knowing that they're collaborating with each other. It's sort of like Warren's unintentional but necessary movement. Uh, and Vonnegut always said that part of your job in life is to figure out who's a member of your caress. But then, as I like to add, don't get organized. That'll just screw everything up. <laughs> well, Michael, you know, long ago from the beginning, had the insight that Healing Circles Global would be a learning community. And I think this is the spirit that I'm taking from these conversations is that people working all over the world in this absolutely critical moment in time what can we share? What can we learn from each other? And I love what has been happening in the chats of all of these conversations with people saying, you know, I'm here, I'm doing this work. I'm here, I'm doing this work. And I, I, I can come in, I can communicate, let's talk. That's what I've been carrying as this tremendous and amazing blessing. Thank you, Diana. As we turn to maybe the next generation. Um, Lisa has not been on a call before, but she's been part of this community ever since she started as the executive director of the Smith Center for Healing and the Arts, which is based in Washington, DC, which is a sister organization to Commonweal. Most recently, Lisa served as senior director of patient and public engagement at the Biden Cancer Initiative. And she's active in the music ministry and community outreach efforts for her church, Metropolitan AME, which had the Black Lives Matter sign across the front of it that we saw in many demonstrations. Lisa, what's on your heart today? Oh, my goodness. My heart is so full. I have been able to participate in many of the other talks and just to be 
in community with uh, Parker and Christina and Diana and Michael and you and Ramin, I, I, I'm still sort of like, what am I doing here? Um, however, <laughs> I, have, I have learned so much. And, and what I love about what I've heard and I think what drives me every day is, is how do we help someone know they're not alone? And I think that is just the heart of what we try to do at Smith Center. When people walk through the doors of 1632 U Street, when our doors are open again, but when you walk through that door, you kind of feel this sense of, oh, a place where I can relax and I can breathe and I can be. And I, and I really think that's what the healing circles have become for many people is it's finally a place where I can be with others and talk what's really going on with me and know I'm, I'm, know I'm not alone. And many of the people we work with, you know, are going through really difficult situations being diagnosed with cancer or other illnesses. And there is that sense of I'm in this by myself, but they're not. And whether they come to us for our workshops or our support group, but what I've loved, what, I've, what we've seen though is our healing circles have just grown. And that's because it's one person or two people saying, I can talk to you about this, come talk. And then we've, and that's how it's just, and how they've just taken off for us. But to me, it goes back to that sense of, especially right now, we've all walked through this really traumatic time with COVID and all the other things going on. But to know you're not walking through it by yourself is really powerful. And, and so the healing circles have just, just become that for so many whether it's through our work, what's going on with Healing Circles Global, at a moment where I think we're all just grasping for something to hold on to. And so I'm just really grateful to be a part of this and be a part of something where people find that community. And then they too can then reach back and, and hold on for someone else. And so it's just really powerful. And I'm just feeling really filled with gratitude um, for what this could be for, for those who know about it but for those who don't know yet that they can be part of this community and how we reach to them too. Thank you, Lisa. Um, last but not least is Ramin Sarabi. Ramin is part of the, the leadership team at Commonweal. He's the director of strategies and partnerships. And he's also the director of the new Center for Collaborative Democracy. He came to Commonweal from the startup world, bringing a human-centered approach and the system orientation to his work. Ramin, what's on your heart today? Oh, gosh, so many things. Uh, I, I think first and foremost, it's just being feeling depth of community and, and part of lineage that this series of calls, and in particular, the honor to be uh, part of the panel here, uh, has offered me and and, and somewhere in the first few shares, just how unique this moment is to, to have all of these voices and to be able to almost like tacitly receive the transmission from all of the wisdom of, uh, of what I see in, in folks like Parker and Christina and Michael and well, actually everybody on this panel. Um, the other piece, and of course, Christina already, I think, said this better than uh, than I probably can by by naming that shamanic. As I was reflecting on the previous calls, there was this observation and that at some basic level, the circle is presence. And I love how it was named. Maybe it was Parker that actually to think of presence as a distinct entity that we are almost invoking. We're inviting into the space and. 
also further that presence in a way is is love maybe is what i heard in that 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 invites us to connect with parts of ourselves that are so vulnerable and so um I think vulnerable is actually the right word that we keep them hidden away. Um, and maybe that points back to the hidden wholeness that the presence is this doorway into the experience of the hidden wholeness and inviting it more into being an expression. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been processing that in particular, uh, wondering about the invitation you know, how can we invite more people into this sort of experience that uh, that maybe if it, when it's framed as healing, uh, their reaction is like, well, that's not for me. You know, how, how can this become as normal a part of how we are in community um, as, you know, maybe, maybe what we assume is normal today? Uh, a lot of the arguing and a lot of the, um, the kind of the adversarial dynamics. So these are some of the questions I'm holding and uh, yeah, just, just deeply humbled to, to be with y'all. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ramin. We're gonna try an experiment that we haven't tried on Zoom before, which is a conversation. So um, whoever's behind the Zoom controls, if you can bring us all on to form our, our Brady Bunch screen. And what I'd like to do is just open the opportunity for a conversation among us and among us is across generations, among different ways of holding circles, among different geographies, um, in somewhat in an unstructured way. So I'd invite all the panelists who, um, who are not in a noisy place to unmute themselves so we can try and actually have a conversation and see where it goes. Um, and I was tempted to start with a question, but I think I'm just going to leave it open and see if anybody has a, a question or something that has come up from the series or a question that you wanted to ask each other for the last um, many years. And I know there are many questions in the room. Um, what would you like to ask? Well, I'd, I'd like to ask Christina to pass me the talking stick, but uh, that's not possible here. <laughs> so I want to loop back to what Lisa said, um, because I was both touched by it and it was very familiar to me as a, as a simple but powerful experience. I'm not alone. Um, it's often just knocked me down in our circles that people who share a very challenging professional problem, vocational problem, none of whom has the answer to that problem, will come together to explore the problem and just the coming together is somehow the answer to the problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. because, because we're constantly, I think part of it, Lisa, is that we're constantly doubling down on our own suffering by saying in the ego, I'm the only one who has this going on rather than Welcome to the human race. This is part of the larger and ancient experience. What I'd like to ask you to comment on is one more observation I have about that, that in addition to I'm not alone, people are saying to themselves, here's a place where I can finally mm. be heard as I tell my story. Mm -hmm. so, so what's unique about these circles is not simply that you get to speak your voice, but that you have this really deep experience of being heard, maybe for the first time. And I, 
I'd love to know what your experience with that is and the folks you work with. That's absolutely right. I think people just want to know not only that they're heard, but they're, that you're, they're seen. You know, I think sometimes we can walk through the world right now and seem like we're invisible. You know, so having people, you know, go, yes, I have felt that way. I, I hear what you're saying. And we also, we deal with a variety of people in ages, but one of the groups we work with, you know, are, are people that are going through not only a cancer diagnosis, but um, the way our healing circles have worked, we've, we are focusing in on people with really distinct things they're struggling with. They're moms with cancer. So, that's a whole, so not only do they have cancer, but they're parenting. And so to talk to other women, you know, who are also like, yes, I know how hard it is to, how do you figure out what's going on with your kids and take care of yourself? Just to have that sense of, I hear you, I see you, and and let, let's hear some things that have worked for me. And that's sort of the power that we that we can create in in those circles. That not only that they're they're heard, they're seen, and I'll go a step further, they're understood, right? So their so their concerns, thoughts, feelings are validated. They may not be exactly the same, but boy, I can relate to that. And and that can be so important. I think for all of us, right? We all want to know that someone sees us, hears us, and can acknowledge our feelings, even if they can't completely relate to them. Thank you. I wanted to uh, pick up on what Ramin was saying about circle as a transmission, because I really do think it happens that way. You know, that over and over again in Ants in my career, I just wanted to go up and, and kind of press forehead to forehead with somebody and just go, Zah! you know, do you get it now? And it, it's, it's um, the transmission is remembering that we know how to do this. You're listening to a TNS conversation titled Moving Forward, Circles for Healing and Coming Together, co-presented with Healing Circles Global that we can sit down and slow down and listen up, you know, and experience that kind of alchemical magic. And I think it's not only for the one who's speaking, like Lisa was just saying, but the one who's listening feels also bathed in this kind of authentic presencing. And to me as a listener and a holder of this space over and over again, I'm constantly humbled I mean, just brought to my knees. And after being in a circle where this alchemical reaction has occurred, I just go sit under a tree and I just thank God, whatever that is. I just say, thank you for trusting me in all my imperfections to hold this space. And um, so I, wanna, I want everyone who's listening to really trust the transmission process and that if you don't know what to do next, just, you know, lean into the center and lean back to the rim and just take a couple of breaths and ask that invisible thing in the middle, what do you want from us? You know, what do you want from us? How can we help what we don't yet know is here? And I, when I think about why circle is so needed today, it's that question. How can we help what we don't yet know is here? And um, I loved, Ramin, when you said circle is presence and it's the presence of love. Um, 
for all the times that circle can get wonky and wobbly and we inadvertently misunderstand and hurt one another's feelings and whatever, it's still about that. I, um, I think it was Christina who first said, it might've been Diana, but it's a phrase that I love. Um, the phrase is, it's all circle work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've come to look at life that way. It's all circle work. Uh, there's the circle of one when we're sitting by ourselves with all our multiple subpersonalities <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on within us in the circle, trying to honor and listen and respect each of our subpersonalities with their very divergent views. There's the circle of two, either with people we're extremely close with or somebody. Uh, we meet uh, Christine. One of my favorite stories. I don't know if we have time for it, but Christina told an incredible story about a circle she did in the women's restroom at the Seattle airport uh, with a woman. Uh, but circles of two with unknown people, mm-hmm. and obviously greater circles than that. I think one thing we haven't said is. My practice now is that in every phone call I do, every Zoom call, every walk I take with people, people know this about me. We always start with silence, and then we always start with a check-in before we go to whatever we're doing. And my deep experience is that the work goes far better with those simple elements of circle at the start, and then whenever possible, remembering to do silence at the end. So... Quite aside from dedicated circles, mm-hmm. the circle method simply that it's all circle work and that every chance I get, that silence and those check-ins remind us of bringing our full humanity to what we're doing, and then the work goes better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I've been thinking as you and Christina talked about that little Robert Frost couplet where he says, we dance round in a ring and suppose, but the secret sits in the center and knows. Yeah. And the closer we can get to saying, what do you know? You know, <laughs> let me hear from you. Uh, the better off we are. Could you say that one more time, Parker? That was very nice. Yeah, Robert Frost. Um, we dance round in a ring and suppose but the secret sits in the center and knows. And I, I think you're right, Ramin, the secret is, is love. Um, Diana, what are you thinking? So many things. I want to just sit and take notes as a student. Um, we, we experience the... Um, that sense of presence, that absolute simplicity that you can have a circle anywhere and everywhere you are. Kelly used to say, Michael, that a circle of many is a circle of one because it shares what Christine and Parker were talking about. But a circle of one is always a circle of many. And there's so you know many voices in our heads. But the question I really have for others, and you've all experienced it in different ways, is does it is is that enough or does it need to be varied in different cultures and different kinds of 
organizations in different places. And, um, you know, so really it, it, it's a question for everyone of given the population that you work with, the different cultures that you've been part of, have you seen any differences in how the circle works? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying very simply, yes, we, we have. Um, there is something uh, profoundly in common about circles in different professional settings and in different demographics to the extent that we've experienced those in the work of the Center for Courage and Renewal. But there is also the question of, of what do you put, and I'll now change the metaphor a little bit here, but what do you put in the center of that circle to evoke from this particular profession or this particular demographic or this particular audience? The I'll shorthand it as to evoke the, the soulful material mm -hmm. that you you want to liberate people to bring forth. I mean, people want to talk about the deepest things within them. They want to talk about the soul's imperatives. They want to talk about their fears and their hopes and all the things that Lisa named around, I'm a mother who has cancer. What about my kids? Does anybody get it? But they've had many experiences of trying to talk about that stuff and feeling rebuffed or marginalized or misunderstood or misheard or just people be get becoming afraid of them and walking away. As, as I said on when Michael and I were talking, that was my experience of being in clinical depression, mm -hmm. uh, was people were afraid of me as if this were a contagious disease, which really doubled down on the loneliness of that experience. So there is this soulful material, and we always put at the center of our soul a poem, a metaphor, a piece of music, a teaching story, um, not a big text, but a small evocative text. And it's, we, know, we now know that it's very important what cultural choices you make about what well to reach into to pull those evocative materials out mm -hmm. and what works for a predominantly white audience won't work for an audience of people of color. What works for K through three teachers won't necessarily work for professors in graduate school. Uh, so you have to make thoughtful choices about what we call the third thing neither the facilitator nor a participant, but the voice of, of the text that, that has the capacity to hold these soulful issues in a way that makes them more available so that people, for example, who are afraid to talk about what's deepest in them for fear of being rebuffed again, can talk about the poem and how it's holding that issue until they understand that the circle is safe enough for them to speak for themselves, mm. if that makes sense. So that's one response anyway to your question, Diane. Thank you. I'm thinking that probably the widest breadth of our work was like working in the um, European Union with mid-level administrators in Brussels and working in Zimbabwe. Um, in a learning village 
just assisting them in in self-governance, you know, in claiming the circle as their self-governance. And going in, I mean, always going in with a partner of belonging, you know, who belongs there. I'm coming in from the outside. I'm culturally ignorant on some level, almost everywhere I go. So it's like, how do I come in with a partner of belonging and just say, how would this work for you? And um, what is the most respectful way to enter this community? And to be vulnerable to my own level of ignorance, you know, and to... um, and I, I just, I just want to say that again, to be vulnerable to my own level of cultural ignorance and the blinders that I carry so that it models vulnerability from the very beginning and a willingness to be in the circle, not lording over the circle in any way. My first experience with circles was actually at a summer camp with teenagers and the, the power of hope camp um, it's actually started on Whidbey Island where young people from a lot of from different backgrounds in the Bay Area came together and actually w- what happened it created a foundation for the community sitting in circle together in this case that went on for four or five hours sometimes because everybody had the chance to share it created the 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 foundation upon which the summer camp community sat, because once that vulnerability and trust was brought into the community, it took together, it brought together young people who did not know each other before into a shared space that then allowed for the camp to continue to grow. I saw this also happen in another group that harkens back to my 20s called the Radical Fairies, where men came together and sat in circle every morning and basically, every day a new community evolved in being able to be in that shared space. So I think sometimes about how circles serve us in this healing function, but how foundational they can be to actually creating community. So you can come from the outside and learn about the community, learn about the culture. It could also become the foundation that generates a community and the culture. And, uh, just in reference to the vulnerability piece, which I think is so critical, you can't facilitate a circle of the sort we're talking about without being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I just want to put in a word for how life-saving that's been for me over the years. Yeah. When, I, when I was a younger man, a lot of the work I did was performative. You know, I was up in front of a big audience giving a lecture, or I was consulting with a corporation or whatever. And, you know, it's showtime, and you, you, you show them your stuff. When I first got into circle, I realized, oh, this is for me as much as it is for anyone. And if if I don't enter it that way and hold it vulnerably and work on my own stuff while I'm here, they have no reason to trust me mm-hmm. at this level of intimacy and depth. And that's been a huge relief. Um, you know, there's there, I just I think there are important professional boundaries that facilitators need to talk about with each other because if it becomes all about you it blows up in the other direction Uh, and you have to uh, you have to gain the group's trust that you're able to hold this uh, in a way that uh, they're not 
you know, that while you're supporting them, they're not having to also keep you from falling apart. Right. Um, but it, it's such a, for me, such a life-saving piece of this work. As I, as I hear this, um, what you all said, Parker and Christina and Oren, I say, something that I've heard repeatedly comes to mind, that what comes from the heart reaches the heart. Mm. And so in any time when this kind of circle work, if you're not coming into it from a place yourself of, of that vulnerability, that, that, like that level of, of just, I'm, I'm going to come in fully as me, then you're, it's so hard to reach the other person or the people that you're in community with, because if you're coming in, like I'm in charge or something, that's not going to meet. But if you come from that heart place, they'll meet you there. And then that spirit that we've been talking about also just comes in. So I think it's just so important to remember where where we're all coming from. And I think that's and I think that's really one of the gifts of healing circles because the 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 hosts and the guardians, everyone comes in with that that from that space. Yeah. When I was in Slovenia a number of years ago, we had 14 countries in the room. And we divided the group into two smaller circles and invited everyone to tell a story. These were all circle hosts and facilitators. Everyone to tell a story of a time they felt they had really let the group down, really, you know, flubbed it up, missed the moment, and what they learned from that. And so we all told those stories. And then realized at the end that we all trusted each other more as facilitators after that experience than before. And I, I look for places and ways to continue to have that experience where I could admit my own faults and my own hesitancies and the places that I can get tripped up on myself um, to have these kind of facilitator conversations in the background because they're so enriching. There's a, a question in the chat that came up, which is from Barbara is what, I wonder how we can shift our orientation from vulnerability being something fearful to it being about dropping pretense as a relief, as Parker said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at our current president. And now, I mean, just... His willingness to be an old man, to make mistakes, to deal with his stuttering, to do all of that. I mean, he's just, he's an amazing role model. And we don't have time right now, but I'm really curious as I talk to men these days, how the, this vision of masculinity is impacting um, men, young and old. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, the, um, I was being killed by my ego mm. earlier, early in my career. And it, it didn't, you know, I, I didn't need years of psychoanalysis to figure that out. Uh, it's, sometimes it's the, the, you know, the cause and the cure is pretty obvious. Um, but in dropping your ego defenses, there are all kinds of fears that arise in, in the male psyche, certainly, um, maybe in the human psyche. Um, and I certainly got some good help along the way from people who, who, were, who were just saying, you know, Parker, you might consider getting real, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just for starters, you know, <laughs> see where that takes you. 
<laughs> yeah. So we'll, yeah. it's an it's an interesting balance, Parker, because I I read a Jungian article that I can't quote accurately right now, but she talked about the ego is necessary because it says, "How else would the divine attach to us? How else would God touch us if we didn't have an ego? If we didn't have a a, a little hook place in our our selfhood?" And so then we need that. Otherwise, we are pretty psychotic, but we also can be pretty psychotic if we can't get out of it. (laughs) So as I've chewed on that idea over the decades, I thought, I think I'm at my best when I am cohabiting self and spirit. And that circle invokes that from me Mm -hmm. and it invokes it from everyone. Mm-hmm. who can really be present. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll introduce a word that I think is right in the mix of this vocabulary, Christina, which is humility, mm-hmm. which is an often misunderstood word, I think. And there's false humility and there's self-undermining humility, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're in circle in the presence of 20 or 25 human beings being real about their lives, it, Often for me, the only possible response is humility. I'm so filled with respect. I'm so filled with love. I'm so filled with encouragement for my own journey, my own struggles, uh, that humility is the only place to to rest. And and for me, a next step when when I have to go back to performative mode is to say, why am I here? I'm here to serve. I'm not here to put on a show. Um, I'm not here to look good. I'm here to serve as best I know how. And um, yeah, so Circles has taught me a lot. Well, you always talk about yourself as a deeply flawed human being who is occasionally useful. And, you know, at the very foundation that humility has taught me, But I also think one of your ideas that has been so profound is the idea of intentional healing that comes from within. And so the question of where's the healing occurring, it's occurring in each of the chairs of the circle. It's not the leader that's evoking that healing. And I I wondered if you could talk more about your original idea of intentional healing and I know you're living it personally, and I know you have ideas of what that might mean for the planet. Mm. Yeah, well, as some of you know, I had a life-saving surgery about 10 months ago, and I thought I was all good, and then I need repairs on it. And so there's another major surgery looming before me, <laughs> which I which I am uh, trying to encounter with as much gratitude and grace as possible. Um, so so I find myself in a place. Parker has a wonderful uh, line that he's written about about in the in the planetary situation. Standing in the tragic gap, as Parker's phrase, between how things are and how we wish they were. Um, And I've always been interested from the start of Commonweal that we called it a center for personal and planetary healing. 
I've always been interested in that interface between our own personal healing and healing the earth. And so at this point in my life at age 77, with the um, physical losses beginning to uh, accumulate and other losses as well, but witnessing a world where the losses are accumulating. And so the question that I'm holding uh, about intentional healing, Diana, is I know what intentional healing looks like for an individual. It looks like healing is a natural force and it's going on in me whether I'm going to live or die. Healing is going on. But I can choose to be intentional about the effort to optimize the different aspects of that. So when it comes to planetary healing or to the global polycrisis or whatever we speak of and the effort to strengthen whatever we call resilience in the face of the polycrisis, what does intentional resilience look like? What does intentional healing at not just the planetary level, but in our communities, in our states and regions, in our countries. Um, and that is infinitely complex. I, I think that I think that uh, one size does not fit all, just as we were talking about uh, different um, cultures uh, and how they hold circles and what is that which you put in the middle. Um, so I find myself both recognizing the power of what we have in common and also recognizing how different intentional healing is going to look in every possible circle that we can imagine. Um, but I, I do believe that we happen to be living, we know we're living in a, a bottleneck of biodiversity where only part of biodiversity is going to make it through this polycrisis. And whether humans make it through and what form humans will take is also unknown. And so it seems to me that what is in the middle of the planetary circle question is um, what is our intention here? who do we seek to be as human beings in the face of the polycrisis and this bottleneck and evolution? What are we seeking to carry through to the other side? And above all, how do we live with peace and joy? What do we tell our children about this period of time? My God, children need hope and affirmation. What is the hope and affirmation that we can offer in the midst of a situation where the road looks so rough ahead. So I don't have answers, but it seems to me that the question is emerging, not only about intentional healing at an individual level, but what is our shared intention, particularly those of us who do circle work. In Christina's language, what is the tradition of circle work calling out for from us? in this period of time? I don't know, but it seems to me to be the right question. And Michael, that's a perfect segue into the next session, which is really what does uh, circle work mean in these days? And I was hoping we can go around um, each of us kind of following from where Michael left us off and just reflect on um, 
Well, how do you see the possibilities of circles that are at the intersection of healing and resilience, especially as we face depolarization, the pandemic, climate change, and the poly crisis? The poly crisis is the understanding that humanity faces a lot of different challenges right now. Climate change is one we talk a lot about, but as Michael mentioned, biodiversity is an issue, the loss of topsoil, the acidification of the oil. There was a wonderful talk on the Omega Project uh, on Thursday um, by Professor Shana. What's Shana's last name, Michael? Shana Swan. Shana Swan, who talked about the drop of sperm count among men. And if this continues, we really will not be able to reproduce within 40, 50 years. So the poly crisis is a collection of all these different crises. Um, and maybe, Christina, could we start with you? What do you think about the possibility of circles at this moment in time? I firmly believe that circle is our original social DNA. And if you go back to the capturing of the spark of fire, which allowed our ancestor, ancestor, ancestors to shift from being wandering, breeding pairs who could snuggle at night and keep warm to lighting a fire in the middle and bring in community, right? So more people could keep warm, more people could talk, and it demanded of us that we become social beings. And so we've been on that journey for 200,000 years or so. And I tap back into that because that DNA is still in us. And so I think that circle is this transmission of remembrance that we have an operating system that is so ancient and universal and multicultural and how it fleshes out that we know how to do the future. And it doesn't look anything like the sort of media, techno, overcrowded world. We have to go sit down in nature and remember how to do the future. And um, so I think the first role of circle is to call the fire. You know, is is to provide a space for people to get out of the madness. And one of the aspects of the pandemic has been we've been called back to these more intimate. Who's in your bubble? In the, I mean, the Zoom room has blown out and so expansive, but the physical bubble in all of our lives has just become very, very small. Um, I know there's been a lot of pain in that, but there's also been magic and um, the kinds of things that we all can tell stories about for the rest of the weekend. So to be a, a to hold the candle, to hold the, the invisible light in the palm of the hand that we extend to one another and do circle work on that micro, micro level. And then from this, from really being heard, from touching our wholeness and our holiness to ask, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? And um, I, I just keep going from the micro to the macro and the micro to the macro because the stuff in the middle is just total chaos. Um, so that's all I can say right now. You're listening to a TNS conversation titled Moving Forward, Circles for Healing and Coming Together co-presented with Healing Circles Global. 
Parker. Well, as always, I want to talk about what what she just said. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you. <laughs> but and and I will. But um, uh, in you know in 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 the spirit of dialogue, let me say this: I I agree with everything Christina said about the the ancient coding that brings us mm. in, into circle, and how it has served for millennia to advance the human possibility in one way or another. And I know that Christina would agree with me that other things are coded into us as well Mm -hmm. uh, in the brainstem, as in fight or flight and othering and all of the stuff that makes life so problematic these days. Um, You know, I talk about community a lot. I have in my life, but I always try to stop at some moment and say to myself, but the Third Reich was a form of community too. It was a form of mass collective identity for a whole lot of people who were empty on the inside, needed something to fill it on the outside, and chose something that led to evil and horror of unimaginable sorts. White racism, white supremacy that, that has been that's in the DNA of the American experiment has that same quality to it of of a search for community that excludes, marginalizes, and and kills. Um, and and it's 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 very hard to disentangle. I think these various threads of the human quest for a larger, more communal sense of identity. Um, My own definition of spirituality is any way you have of answering the eternal human yearning uh, to be connected with something larger than your own ego. Uh, Because when we're only connected with our own egos, that's the ultimate loneliness in life. That's actually a definition of deep depression. Uh, you're 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 not connected with anybody or in any way. Um, but the Third Reich again is as much an answer to that is as much a form of spirituality as are the most noble works of the great wisdom traditions of the world. So I love the notion, and I do it myself, of going from the micro to the macro. I think for some of us who've been doing circle work for a long time, the, these new challenges to which we must respond uh, will mean a lot of letting go of past models of success, of, of what has worked and what hasn't worked. We're going we're gonna to require beginner's mind. Um, which really starts with what Michael said. I don't know the answer to these questions. I just think they're the right questions. Um, uh, our, our executive director, Catherine McKelvin, has done a wonderful job of, of reinterpreting the foundational ideas behind circles of trust as as. Uh, ideas that you cannot embrace without abandoning any notion of supremacy of anybody over anything. 
uh, and with particular attention to white supremacy. So what we're trying to do is to become more conscious of and communicate more publicly about how our work is founded on principles and practices that are anti-white supremacy. And to not simply assume that people are going to pick that up from the circle work we do, but to, to put it in the form of an explicit message that this is part of what we wish to teach in the way we do circle. So from my own beginner's mind, those are just a few data points that I'm going to be tracking as, as, as time goes on here at age 82. <laughs> Thank you, Parker. Um, Michael, maybe we'll save you for the end. And Thanks, Diana. I think many of our experience in the pandemic, when we all had to come home alone, and but we had TVs that sent us back out into the world, or perhaps we we didn't have the, the privilege of being able to come alone. But I, I feel like as a planet, we saw things we had never seen before in that way. And we saw not only the tremendous pain and suffering of those dying in the families that couldn't be with them, and we saw the tremendous courage of the nurses and the healthcare workers, and we we just were overwhelmed by the racial inequity in our country, and we were overwhelmed by the, the fight and the insurrection and the inability to find any common ground for truth. And then we sat in the middle of fires and couldn't breathe. And this was just this year, right? This was just 2020. And it, when Michael talks about the poly crisis, you know, he talks about it as this, this multitude that's coming at us. And I think one of the things that we are also DNA programmed to do is to freeze. Um, unable to take that in, unable to move. And I think what we're called to is this tremendous personal resilience that's born of adaptation, of response, of creativity, of, of new ways of collaborating that we've never had before. And I think Circle is that place where we can take... Um, It will it, it, take everything that has been coming our way and take a deep breath and say, right now I'm here. Right now my heart is here. And it's a way of being able to process the trauma so we can return to a state of deep personal resilience. And instead of moving to fear as the most known thing, we can move to love as the most known thing. Um, in the research on childhood trauma, there's questions around why do some children survive the most horrific trauma and, and are able to be adaptive and resilient human beings throughout their adult life? And why does this not happen for some? And research that I just listened to uh, said that 
for children, there was a moment of buffer. There was somebody, if the trauma came from the parent, it was a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a pastor, a coach, uh, somebody that could provide that buffer zone. And if the child had that, a teacher who cared, they were okay. And if, but they needed to have that buffer after each event. And I feel like Healing Circles is that. It's that moment in every day where we get that buffer and we can return to a healthy way of being in the world. And then when we all turn our backs and look out, we have more people able to share some view of what possibly could be out there as a direction for us to move. So, I, you know, it's like mental health hygiene. <laughs> it's like brushing your teeth, I think, to sit in circle in the depth and profundity of this moment that we're in. Thank you, Diana. Lisa, as you look ahead, what do you see as the possibilities for circles? Well, this is a powerful question, and and uh, I loved hearing what everyone else was saying. And I, I guess what came to mind for me was thinking about that, like, you know, how when you go on the plane, it says put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help others. And I kind of feel like like circles give people an opportunity to do that. Where, like, is Diana just so eloquently shared what's going on in the world and how I can speak for me the heaviness of all that over the past year has been tremendous. And as a woman of color, you know, even more so perhaps just because, you know, I, I, I can't even speak to the way I felt most of the year. Like I, I can't even put into words um, what I felt in, in, I guess, really feel like there is a lack of humanity um, or regard for people that look like me as humanity, particularly black men. And like, like it's, it's almost like, am I here? Am I here? Do you see me? Like, do you see me? And and so I feel like a lot of people are walking around of many races, religions, whatever's feeling that way. Like, do you see me? And I feel like circles create that place where I can be seen and heard, going back to what we talked about earlier. And I think if we can have more spaces for that, we may be able to then come to some common ground and some common understanding of how we can move forward on some of these bigger issues because I, I think there's so much discord and so much um, division. And, and I think a lot of it is because we only hang out with who we hang out with. Everyone believes the same thing. We all, you know, and so until we can create some opportunities for that intersection of people, um, you know, it's, that's going to be hard. But that creates, but that then then lies, how do we build those places of trust? And which, which is, you know, which is some of the problem. But I, but I do go back to, if I'm not taking care of myself well, then I can't even begin to address those things. And so I think circles allows us a place for us to have, take that self-care, that resilience that Diana just mentioned, and then refresh oxygen mask on and okay, okay, now I feel like I can come back out here and do a little bit more of this work. Um, and so that's just what it brings to me that self-care and then bring it back out so we can then reach my hand back out to help someone else. And I think Healing Circles can be that bridge for that. Thank you. Ramin, 
I think through this, what I'm hearing is the reminder that uh, life is a creative act and we're all part of this ongoing creation of the world as it is. Uh, and it begs the question, what are the conditions we are creating from together? Uh, and, and we can see all of the, again, the polarization, the lack of safety, the fear, the anxiety um, that we're creating from as it is. And then I think to the extent we've experienced circle, uh, we, we can s remember the feeling in our bodies and the feeling of connection uh, from that safety, from that love, uh, from that also listening in um, beyond us, if you will, to guidance, um, to, to spirit guiding us. Uh, so at least in the Commonwealth community, I've often said, well, what, what if our democracy felt much more like a healing circle? Um, what, what if that was the way in which communities were coming together? And if we could imagine, you know, a portrait of our community sitting in circle together, a cross section, really able to hear each other, really able to, uh, to feel seen and heard and to allow some of that healing to happen. Then we can ask the question that I heard of like, well, who do we choose to be? You know, where do we want to go from here? What, what do we hope for each other and, um, you know, and all of life, future generations. And um, I guess this is that idea of our better angels that, that Parker, I know you wrote about uh, in, in, in your book on democracy. Um, so I, I see that potential and I see that that yearning at this time. I think we're all looking uh, for for something that feels like that um, as, as what democracy looks like moving forward. There's one other uh, phrase I was reminded of from Meg Wheatley, um, who talked about this time as, as needing us to create islands of sanity in, in her frame, I believe. And what I see in circles is actually it, uh, it's about creating islands of grace, you know, um, where, where, where we're held by grace together. And again, in a sense, are in service of expressing grace in the world. Um, thank you, Holly, up there. Thank you. Michael, you've thought a lot about the polycrisis you created, the Omega Network, the Resilience Project, the Cancer Health Program, and Healing Circles. What do you see at that intersection? There's a beautiful line from Václav Havel, which is never far from my heart. He said, optimism is the belief that everything is going to go right. And he said, hope, by contrast, is a deep orientation of the human soul that can be held in the darkest of times. Optimism, the belief that everything is going to go right. Hope, by contrast, a deep orientation of the human soul that can be held in the darkest of times. I believe that hope is fundamental to living in this time. After all, we can't know that the road will be as rough as it looks as if it's going to be. Uh, we can't know that a disaster and civilizational collapse will be complete. Uh, we can hope that humanity and as much of uh, biodiversity as possible comes through this period of time. And we can above all hope 
that humanity is somehow purified of the self-destructive dimensions that have been so dominant and discovers how to reinvent itself uh, as a custodian of life on earth and as a custodian of the human spirit as we would choose it to be. It seems to me we cannot know whether human life is ultimately the ultimate tragedy that it destroys itself or whether um, even if we do survive, whether the reinvention will be uh, a terrible one or uh, one filled with wisdom and love. But what we can know is that we have a choice, which is what to align ourselves with. And we certainly have a choice in every moment, in every day, to take those little steps, those random acts of kindness that preserve whatever is possible for us to preserve within our space. And I think it's really important to recognize that this is not the first time when the apocalypse was expected. I mean, it has been part of human history. If you look back to Maimonides, who said it was not permitted to count the number of days until the Messiah was going to come. Um, there have been many periods in human history when people thought the end was coming in one way or another, and often they've been wrong. So for us to have the humility that we may also be wrong, at least those of us that have the dire points of view, and finally, to really ask ourselves, what are the situations where it makes sense to invoke the polycrisis and all the fears that it engenders? And what are the situations that call for more gentleness and that call for a, a more hopeful orientation, particularly with regard to children and young people? You know, where are we simply better off, even if, the, even if our minds see a dark future, that our hearts, uh, you know, project something else. You know, Gramsci is often misquoted as saying, um, uh, pessimism of the mind, optimism of the will. Uh, that, uh, it's actually a misquote, but the point is, the future may look dark to us, but if our will and if our hearts are centered in what is possible, then we can never be fully um, we can never be fully disappointed with what we have been given, that that quality of alignment with the future we want will always be there. Uh, and whatever our fate, that inasmuch as anything is remembered, it can be remembered that there were people who were friends of democracy, friends of equality, uh, friends of life, um, Circles of friends, healing circles, circles of trust, um, circles of all kinds. Thank you, Michael. I'm not going to try and weave everything together. Circle of friends, circles of trust, circles of life kind of brings it all together. And this kind of brings our series to a closure, um, our five conversations. And today we had an opportunity all to to question and ask each other questions and 
And maybe as a closure, we can uh, bring all of the panelists back onto the screen and we can go around. Maybe we'll start with Ramin this time um, and just ask for uh, a short one minute inspiration, blessing, vision for the work that as we move ahead. Just, just to remember where we came from, where we are, and where is it that we are going to. And another reminder that um, Healing Circles Global's work is continuing at all time, as well as all the other different organizations, Courage and Renewal, Peer Spirit, The Circle Way, Smith Center for the Arts, all these organizations are continuing with this work. And my blessing is that our visions and dreams will come together in order to create that foundation that we need as we face into the poly crisis. Ramin? My hope is that the, uh, this community continues and deepens in, in this learning inquiry of, of how, how to call in the circle, how to host um, this presence, this love uh, that we've been talking about. Amen. Lisa? My hope or my wish would be that, similar to Ramin's, that this, that this grows, that this isn't seen as like some strange thing, but that people really lean into that want to be a part of a community and that these special, and that more of these circles can emerge and grow and then connect so we can bring the healing I think we'd all want to see here in the world. Diana. That we would all embrace a deep spirit of welcomeness, both within ourselves to what arises and to each other. And that we learn uh, the sustainability that Lisa was talking about so that we can do this work um, as, as we breathe receiving and giving, receiving and giving in a gentle flow and a gentle breath. Thank you. Christina. Carry a candle, carry a bell, carry an evocative list of great questions and go find the others. Parker. I'm going to read a, a short poem by Anne Hillman called We Look With Uncertainty. We look with uncertainty beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers to a softer, more permeable aliveness, which is every moment at the brink of death. For something new is being born in us if we but let it. We stand at a new doorway awaiting that which comes, daring to be human creatures, vulnerable to the beauty of existence, learning to love. Thank you. Michael, before we go to you, I want to bring in some voices from the community, from Terry, to all align in humanity through our hearts, from Jude, as we heal ourselves, we heal the world. Circle is the key. From Carolyn, may we all, may we all strive for heart connection. From Wiley, my mantra, listen softly and carry a big heart. From Merrily, I honor the light within you and you and you and you. 
from Don that we are able to do this by taking circles one step at a time, self, family, community, country, world, and beyond. From Wendy, grateful to this conversation. Hopefully the polycrisis pushes more of us to be in circle, to dialogue, connect, and spread love and healing to the planet and to each other. From Gretchen, to be present in each moment. Michael. Uh, I just see notes from Janie Brown and David Spa and so many others who've been uh, so central to the work. Um, I, my contribution is simply to ask that we go into silence together for a moment. Peace and gratitude. Hmm. Back to you, Oren. Thank you, Michael. Thank you to all the community that attended today. Thank you to Petra Martin, Daron Chovav, Kira Epstein, and Ken Adams that have been holding this space together for us. Thank you for all the people who have contributed and supported to this ongoing series. This is a fundraiser, so we invite you to support this work so we continue can bring this at no cost to everybody around the world deep gratitude and may this circle continue kira thank you thank you so much oren and a big thank you to all of our wise and wonderful panelists in the circle today i hope you all have found a secret in the middle of our circle one last reminder, just as Oren said, this is a fundraiser. I just put the link into the chat to all of you that are attending here live or listening or watching later. Thank you for being with us and being part of the new school at Commonweal. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to a TNS conversation titled Moving Forward, Circles for Healing and Coming Together, co-presented with Healing Circles Global. Thank you for listening to TNS, The New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Jeremy Cohen. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.